Okay, so this week we are back in our series on miracles. Uh, so our miracle series has taken us on quite a journey. Uh, we began uh, all the way back at the miracle of creation. And then we looked at the miracle of the resurrection. And then we looked at the miracle of new birth. That each of us who have given our lives to Jesus are in ourselves a miracle. Because God has changed our hearts from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Um, and then we uh, looked at the miracles of Jesus. And saw in those this particular purpose of his kingdom coming and signs of a, a complete kingdom uh, that will come when he uh, comes back to gather us all together and bring us into his throne room forever and ever and ever in this glorious new creation that we look forward to. Uh, but now we have eventually, at last some of you say, got to this moment where we're going to talk about miracles for today. Now, Miracles for Today is going to be one of these talks where you're probably going to have moments where you go, yeah, right on, that's amazing, amen. But you're also going to have moments where you're like, really? No matter what perspective you're coming from. So if you're like so excited that we're talking about miracles for today, you're going to have some moments where you're really excited because we're going to be talking about how we go about pursuing miracles. But you're also going to have some moments where you're like, oh, really? There's still these disappointments and frustrations and brokenness that God may not come in and do something about. And so, but if you're on the other side of that, you think, oh, no, he's talking about miracles. I'm scared. Actually, you're probably going to have some moments where you're like, ah, oh, relief. Like, it's not all the pressure's on me. But there'll also be some moments where we challenge you. And you think, oh, man, if that's true, I need to change the way I look at this whole thing. I became a, a Christian age 15 in a good church. I would have believed in the miracles and uh, believed that miracles take place today, but wouldn't have really prayed for healing very often or really expect any of what we might call the charismatic gifts, the miraculous gifts to take place like prophecy and tongues and other gifts. So I had little to no experience really of miracles taking place today. But by the time Lindsay and I were dating, uh, so we were about 18 when we met, um, she started going along to a church, uh, a New Frontiers church. We're part of that wider family now, New Frontiers. And um, they believed in the gifts for today, miraculous gifts. And at first, when I went along, I was very cynical. I thought, what on earth? She is in a cult. This is mad. <laughs> and so every time we came back from those meetings, I'd be like, right, let's open the Bible. Because you're wrong. Now, the problem I had was every time I went to the Bible, I realized that actually it was probably me who was more wrong than, than Lindsay. The awkward that. I then totally swang, swang, that's not a word, swung, <laughs> swang, that's a great word, all the way over to you guys who I once happily worshipped with who didn't really engage with the miraculous gifts, you guys are missing out, you've got it all wrong. I started reading authors like Benny Hinn, if you know who he is, like you know he's like way over there in the 
charismatic end. And I'm like, come on, like we've got to engage in this stuff. Come on, miracles today. And um, to be honest, I got to um, a point where that became almost an obsession. And actually I, I got sidetracked and I, I lost the kind of heart of what it means to be a Christian because I was so sidetracked by this one element, which was true, but like to, to the nth degree and above all other things, man, you're gonna get lost. And, and there was a time where I was a bit lost in that. And it became all about miracles instead of all about God. And what we've been saying is that actually miracles are signs. Miracles are not uh, here just for our entertainment or to make us feel good. Miracles are about pointing to God. They're about pointing to Jesus and his kingdom that is advancing upon the earth. They are about him coming to reclaim the earth for his glory. And so miracles we need to look to and to pursue, not because we want to just have a great old time, but because we want to glorify Jesus. So even when I'm, I'm preaching through a thematic series like this one, I usually root us in one particular text. But actually, I feel like today that would do us a disservice. Let me explain. Usually it wouldn't. Today I feel like it would. And the reason I think it would is because actually the Bible is full of uh, both evidence for the miraculous and evidence that we will face trials and difficulties and temptations and all kinds of, of things like that. And actually we're called to suffer with Christ. And so I, if I go to a text that's primarily about one or primarily about the other, we're going to get sidetracked over into one and not the other. So over a period of time, I hope that we will do that. And, you know, in two years, three years, four years, we'll have a, a palette, if you like, of preaching from all over Scripture that will help us to really understand this in its fullness. But today what I'm going to do is, is going to, I'm going to be all over the Bible because I just want us to give, to give us a real overview of what it looks like to pursue miracles today. So we'll see that the biblical pursuit of miracles is largely about, number one, ancient norms. I'll explain what I mean by that. And modern tensions. Ancient norms and modern tensions. And then we're going to have the, the opportunity to pray at the end. We're going to pray for one another. And we're going to pray that God would bring his power and gifting to break into our modern tensions with ancient norms. Let me pray. Actually, Lewis, will you come and pray for me? I've had a bit of a full-on week, and I'm just exhausted. Let me just put that out there, okay? Um, and so I just need the Spirit's help this morning. I always need the Spirit's help, but I'm particularly aware of it. So it would be great if you could just pray. Uh, Lord, thank you that uh, we come this morning to hear your words, not Ian's words. Yeah. Uh, and so he can right now just be relieved of any pressure. Yes, Lord. Uh, and Lord, we just pray that you would come and speak. Lord, you would come and uh, change our hearts. Lord, we pray that we would be cut right to the heart by your word mm. uh, and that you would bless his words. You would give him strength. And Lord, we just, we just praise you for this guy, Lord. Uh, it's hard work. Uh, and we pray that you would uh, just speak through him this morning, Lord. Uh, we love you. We pray that you would come and speak to us now. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lewis. Great. Okay, ancient norms. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything was good. But then when the people um, were, were created and placed upon the earth in the garden, what does God say? He says that it is very good. And it's very good because God had made these people for a purpose and they were living out their purpose. They were being servants of the one true king. But the human race didn't choose the way of the king. Adam and Eve decided to go a different way. And as our representatives, the world went into chaos. We've been subject to that choice ever since. It doesn't take long for you to realize that this world is corrupt, it's broken, and it's diseased. There's all kinds of issues that we face every single day. Now, we face a whole multitude of issues, but if we look across the earth, actually there are greater and greater issues as we look to what's going on in the world. But God had a plan, a plan to restore this garden kingdom and to bring us to a place that is very good. God chose unlikely types like Abraham and Sarah to change the world. He promised them a new land. He promised them a new kingdom that they would bless all nations through this one nation, Israel. But although Israel had moments of success, we know that it was a bit up and down. Through leaders, priests, judges, kings, prophets, temples, purification laws, moral laws, exodus journeys, and the miracles of God that he was doing amongst them, we can see in them, in that nation, that there was evidence of a better kingdom, a kingdom that wouldn't be so up and down, one that would be established forever and ever, one that we could rely on. A kingdom of access to God where grace reigns and not law. To a judge who is just, to a king who is generous, to the one all the prophecies and promises find their yes and their amen in. To a man who did no wrong and who was the final and complete sacrifice for all people. So by the time we get to Acts 1, Jesus has lived this perfect life. He's died on the cross in our place. He's resurrected to new life. He, and he, is, uh, he has returned and he's waiting to be ascended to his throne over all things. And uh, the disciples on one occasion, while they were all eating together, asked this question. Or said this, do not leave Jerusalem. Oh, so hang on. While he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Sorry. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him. Here's their question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Interesting. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Happy Pentecost Day. He's talking about Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to Samaria and the ends of the earth. They ask about Israel. 
and the restoring of the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus says, no, 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 you still don't get this. This is about all nations. I've, I've come to restore all people. I've come to restore this whole earth. I've come to bring about a new creation. I'm restoring the kingdom, all right, but it's a kingdom that is about all the world, not just Israel. So when we look at miracles, we aren't really defining them by the unnatural breaking into the natural, but the natural being restored. Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to empower us for miracles, not only for healing, but lots more, and more importantly, for the miracle of new birth, that people might come to know Jesus, fall in love with him and live in eternity with him. But when someone is healed or a miracle is done, we celebrate not primarily because they are healed, although that's great and we want to celebrate that, but because it's a sign to all the world that Jesus is king of an advancing kingdom that will one day be made complete. And it's a project of restoration. American pastor, writer, Jared Wilson, he says this, miracles are acts of heavenly normalization. Which is to say, they are isolated snapshots of the transformation of the broken world to the way it will some way, someday be. In Jesus, a new kingdom has come. A kingdom of restoration. So although it's a new kingdom, it's restoring what the earth was supposed to be. Who we were supposed to be upon the earth. It's both looking back to before the fall, but also looking forward to this glorious, fruitful time in the new creation when we are all we are supposed to be. Brokenness has become normal to us, but it's not the norm in eternity. God, through Jesus, is restoring the ancient norms. It might be normal to us, but it's not normal to God. What's going on in your life that is broken? Remind yourself, it might have become normal to us, but it's not normal to God. And one day, it'll all be gone. All that brokenness, healed, mended, by a God who's come to restore us and this wonderful creation. The entire world in the new creation will look like the miraculous restoration stories we see Jesus doing. All the miracles of Jesus, they point to him, to the Christ, to his kingdom come now and his kingdom yet to be complete. And we are supposed to see signs of that kingdom as we see people receiving eternal life. God hasn't only saved us by his mercy and grace, but it, actually he's invited us to take part in the restoration of the world. These single instances of miracles aren't just about repeating miracles today, but they are about so much more. They are about looking forward to the day when Jesus will restore all things. Acts 3.21 says this, Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised 
long ago through his holy prophets. Miracles today point to the final day when they are no longer needed. No need for the prophetic, just ask God. No need for healing, our bodies and minds are as they are meant to be. No need for reconciliation, there are no broken relationships. It's right that we are not content with the world as it is. If you are content with the world as it is, open your eyes. God is calling us to something so much greater and he's inviting you to take part in it. Although the Bible does make it clear that God uses suffering for his glory and our good, Jesus also calls things like sickness, the brokenness of the world, Satan's prison. We are called to join in with his restoration plans and God wants to put faith in us that we will one day, for sure, see everything restored as it was meant to be. But in the meantime, that we would see in people restoration of his kingdom on the earth. The second uh, point that we want to make this morning is not just that actually these are ancient norms in the miraculous that we see, but that we have to pursue this within modern tensions. Now, what I mean by modern isn't like, I don't know, naughty's on, you know. What I mean by modern is this period that we sit in between Jesus ascending to his throne on high and pouring out the Holy Spirit on Pentecost to the moment he returns. So how do we work this out before he comes back and completes the project and since inaugurating the kingdom of God upon the earth and declaring his victory over sin, Satan and death? That is a question that's not easy to answer. And I'm not going to pretend that I have all the answers. And I think that's actually very important for us, that we don't try and make a formula out of this, but that we have wisdom and that we take the principles we see in scripture and then we pray, pray, pray. So let me explain some of it. I think it's important to do that as well because actually I've seen things where people who have been transformed by miracles have really benefited and flourished from it. But I've also seen people who have been utterly destroyed by well-meaning people who claim faith in something, maybe a healing or something else, and it's not happened. And actually it causes a lot of destruction. They say things like, God says, and it doesn't happen. And we need to work out what to do with that. It's actually very important for us as people that we work out what to do with that. I used to play rugby with a guy, got a knee injury, right before a, a really big game. He was prayed for it, and it was instantaneously healed. Another friend of mine couldn't eat because his celiac, or he could eat, but there was lots of things he couldn't eat because his celiac disease was so um, full on. He could you know, hardly have a meal out. After receiving prayer, he went home. He tried a little bread. Usually that would make him violently sick. 
nothing happened. A bit later in the day, I think I'll pop out and get a pastry. Is there a pastry? Nothing. Since then he's been eating donuts, all sorts of things, and he's absolutely fine. Someone was prayed for at our West End Grace group not long ago, Grace Community, just a couple of weeks ago. They had pretty severe back pain. I believe it's still there to some degree, but actually God did a healing in that it went from extremely painful to really not that much of an issue. All right? I've also known people who have been destroyed by this, though. Now, I don't mean destroyed by miracles. Of course, they've not been destroyed by miracles. But the wrong appropriation of how we pursue miracles. Some people promise the world. And I think what they're doing is they're trying to claim faith. And so they feel like this is the right thing to do because, you know, more faith, the better, surely. And they'll say things like, God will, says you will be healed. And so in faith, there, I've, I've seen situations where people cancel life insurance and they don't write wills because they think, well, in faith, I'm going to claim this thing that somebody's spoken over me. And then they die. It's absolutely brutal. Now it leaves families, people in tatters. I was watching a documentary recently about a former NFL player called Stephen Gleason. He has ALS, motor neuron disease, it's sometimes known as. And his dad had become a Christian and his dad kept telling him, look, I just believe God's going to heal you. And this is in the documentary. You can watch it on um, Prime. And so eventually he agrees, I'm going to go along to one of these meetings of yours, these healing meetings. And so he goes along, this guy's in town from somewhere else and he's got this healing gift. And I don't doubt that this guy does actually probably have a healing gift of some sort. But the way that he went about it was just dreadful. They had uh, all sorts of hype in the room. Like, come on, God's going to do this today. Right, who's, who's going to try something out? Let's, let's pray for some, each other. And then who's going to try something out? Something that he couldn't do five minutes ago. Let's try it out now. And Stephen Gleason decides, I'm going to get up and I'm going to try and run. And so he goes to the front. I was in tears watching this. He goes to the front and he tries to run. And he gets about four steps and just down on his face. God hadn't healed him in that moment. And it was just really sad. It was dreadful, sad. And actually the the result of it wasn't that he had a relationship with Jesus and was, uh, you know, encouraged by the love of the people in the room. The result was pretty devastating that him and his wife were just thought this was nonsense. And so we need to be very careful that we aren't people who claim things for God that God hasn't said or God isn't doing. We need to be extremely wise about that. We cannot allow people to be in that kind of situation where their lives are destroyed and actually it does great damage to them hearing the gospel because we've just tried to conjure up faith. And that does leave us with the question, does more faith mean more miracles? If we have more faith, will we see more answers to prayer, more people coming to faith, more healings? Yes and no. There is a dynamic tension in this. And if someone tells you that there is a formula one way or the other, don't listen. I'm convinced that if they have a formula, 
They're only paying attention to the portions of Scripture that support their bias. James 1, 6-7 says, Ask in faith without doubting, for the one that doubts is like a wave in the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. But James also says this, to expect all kinds of difficulty in life. He says, when we face various trials. Jesus says, you will receive trouble. But that's not where he finishes. If you read on, he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. In the same line. A really helpful example, I think, for us here is in Matthew 17, when a man approaches Jesus to say that the disciples have tried to pray for his son, and it's not worked out. If you do have a Bible, it might be worth just turning there just now. Matthew 17, verse 14. And we'll read through to verse 20. It says this. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisty generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Now, if you stop there, you would have one perspective. But we read on. We read in context. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He, he, he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed that is very, very small, you will say this to the mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. The whole point of the mustard seed illustration is to show that any amount of faith in God, no matter how small, is sufficient to do amazing things. So this isn't a kind of, hey, uh, when I prayed for, when the disciples prayed for that person, they only had like, I don't know, two-thirds faith. And actually what you need is 100%. So they had 66%. You need 100% in order to heal this person. That's not the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus here is that if you have any faith If it be God's will in this moment, you could do anything. That is the teaching in the context of the whole Bible. In Luke's account, the seed analogy is used right after the disciples asked to increase their faith. Sorry, in Matthew's account. So the implication of, of of this is that you don't really need faith increased. You just need genuine faith in Jesus Christ as your your Lord and Savior. In other words, you believe Jesus is on the throne. If you believe Jesus is truly on the throne, that he was resurrected, that he ascended on high, that he poured out his spirit, and as the ascended king, he is king over all things and he can do all things, then actually, even if that is a tiny bit of faith that you have in that, then you truly can be used to do anything. It isn't You've only got this amount of faith, you need more. Andrew Wilson said on this passage, 
To see the story of the demonized boy then as proof that we need to up our game from 30% faith to 100% faith, as is often done at a street level, is to read the story and the teaching Jesus brings afterwards completely upside down. The disciples were struggling to believe that Jesus was the Christ, the saviour of the world. This is before he hung on a cross and was raised to life on the third day and then ascended into heaven, before the Holy Spirit was poured out in them and that the Holy Spirit sealed in them this faith in their hearts. And it is that faith that meant that the apostles were used in great power miraculous things did happen through them because they were joined up in the kingdom of God at this stage they're struggling for any faith at all in Jesus being the Christ if it becomes purely about how much faith we have it is no more than the power of positive thinking or a conjuring up of faith and actually what is that that's actually works righteousness That is to create two classes of Christians. That is not to say that we are saved by faith alone. That is to say that actually any miracle, including the miracle of my heart being regenerate, my heart going from stone to flesh, needs to be of a certain level before I attain what I need to attain to please God and for him to use me. That's not the message of the gospel and it's not how the gospel should then be applied to our lives. The message of the gospel is that even the smallest amount of faith, God takes that, actually he plants it in our hearts, he changes us, he transforms us, and he takes that and he uses that so that we can do anything in his kingdom. So, how do we, how do we be people who actually do believe that God can do anything and not just go the opposite direction of this because I need to be careful I've now taken us to a point where you can now think that there's no faith involved at all when you heal when somebody's healed or when there's a miracle going on and I'm talking now not about saving faith but about faith that does increase in us when we believe God can do more Paul tells us in Romans 8 that our bodies are wasting away James 1 says we will face various trials. 1 Peter 1 says our suffering causes faith to be refined like gold in the fire. Paul often gets to preach the gospel because of his illness, persecution, storms, all kinds of suffering. Right after Paul and Barnabas have uh, just been stoned for their faith, they say to the believers in Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, but we must not swing and only pick the verses that we might want to pick. And think that faith isn't involved at all in seeing more of the miraculous. Jesus says that with genuine faith we can do extraordinary things. We cannot forget that Jesus has brought us healing already. So he brings healing to the nations. And that by his sacrifice on the cross and the miracle of the resurrection. He pinned Satan to the floor and declared as he ascended to heaven to take his rightful throne, that actually he has crushed Satan, he has crushed death, and he has crushed suffering in this world. Okay? And although we don't receive it until full, until he returns, our posture as Christians now 
is of victory. So we must be careful that we don't swing all the way over here and just expect nothing and just sit back and not pursue the miraculous and not believe that God can overcome some of the most dreadful, broken things in this world. He can. He has defeated all of these things on our behalf and now we belong to his kingdom. So that means that although Jesus doesn't anticipate that every disease is healed and problem overcome in this church or even in this city until he returns, we do have power over sickness and death. So much so that when healing doesn't come and we suffer on and even die, we can continue to live in victory. We had a a friend uh, whose funeral we recently went to and um, she was an extraordinary person uh, thinks through things well, just extraordinarily compassionate. We um, just had so much respect for her and she had been battling with cancer for a long time. One of the things that uh, came out from the funeral, as your sister talked about this, about how uh, she would say and other people would say to her, isn't this unfair that you've got cancer? Why me? Her response, why not me? She recognised that this world is unfair and is broken and that although she was not immune to suffering or the emotional turmoil of it all, as a Christian, she could declare, I have overcome. So even in the suffering, even in the pain, she can declare, I have overcome. The ancient norms will be fully restored when Jesus returns and it is happening through the local church now not because of circumstance but despite circumstance and our role now is to pursue the miraculous these ancient norms at the same time as saying actually if it doesn't happen if my cancer isn't healed if I am going to die prematurely then actually I can still stand in victory I can still stand as someone who has overcome, not because I have overcome, but because Jesus has overcome the world. And I stand with him as his, as his brother or sister, as the father's son or daughter, as someone who is guaranteed eternal and glorious life in the throne room, in the new creation, in the new city, this new Jerusalem that will come about when the garden is restored as a garden city temple forever and ever and ever. We know that we have overcome because Jesus has overcome. So it's not circumstantial. And in that, we pursue more of the miraculous, not because we necessarily feel that we need to have healing in order to be satisfied because our satisfaction is in Jesus alone but because we'd love to point more people to have more signs of the gospel's truth through the miraculous that comes alongside us explaining how Jesus is the king you've all seen um, guys wandering out of the gym haven't you who are huge just, they must be in there all the time. But you've seen those guys who have huge upper bodies. 
I'll clearly skip leg day. Like, just don't want to don't want to go leg day. So I've got this massive upper body, but tiny little pin legs. Now, actually, as the church, we often function like that. And actually, we end up with bad knees and bad hips when we're not pursuing all the gifts in the church. So the way that this is worked out is not as individuals. Because I think one of the big mistakes we make here is we think, ah, miraculous stuff. Okay, so me, 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 me. I think me-centric because we're in an individualistic society. So every time I read something or hear something, it must be for me, me, me. But actually, when we look to uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 says this. Um, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same uh, God at work. Then Paul goes on to say, in fact, God placed the parts in the body, that's us, the church, the body of the church, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And so he's already explained that as a part of what it means to be the body in different parts is that we'll all have different gifts and we should all complement each other in them. So as a church, we need to pursue all the gifts, including all the miraculous gifts, because we want to represent Christ in what we do as a church. But we don't just pursue one type. Because if we do, we'll be like the guy coming out of the gym with the big massive upper body and the pin legs and the problems with the knees and the ankles and we'll have all sorts of weaknesses. And so it's our duty to do this together. So how's this worked out? Well, it's worked out by us pursuing all the gifts together that God wants to give us in this modern tension. Restoring ancient norms within the modern tension through the local church. That's what we're called to when we pursue the miraculous. Paul says to the Corinthians, pursue all the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. So that's what we do in Glasgow Grace. We want to pursue all these gifts. I am praying that we have people in here who have miraculous gifts, that we have people in here who are going to flourish and we're going to help them flourish in gifts of the prophetic and gifts of healing and all sorts of gifts and other gifts that might not seem so exciting but are absolutely awesome and so important for us like administration let me tell you how much I love administration as a gift come on there any administrators out there I want to talk to you um, it's so important that we help one another even when our bias wants to go to certain parts of scripture and ignore other parts even when our bias says, well, I'm a prophetic person, so I just want us to be in the prophetic all the time. Like, why do we even preach? What's the point in that? Like, if, if that's you, if you, know worship, if you love worship, you love worshiping, and you have a gift in leading us in worship, you think, oh, I just, why don't we just worship the whole time? Maybe you're a preacher. Like, sometimes I just feel like, I just want more of the word. Let's just keep preaching. Well, how long have we been going? Let's go another hour. Like, no. <laughs> We would be weak as a result of that. We all need to be playing. We all need to be involved. 
and God is giving us all gifts. And if you are someone out there who you think, I don't know what my gifts are, we would love to pray for you today. So I want to take some time for us to be praying for people to receive gifts today. Now we're going to go into this in more detail next week and get a bit more practical because I know this is just an overview and you're kind of like, yeah, sure, but how do I do this? So we're going to talk a bit more about that next Sunday. But in the meantime, I just want you to know this. God is bringing about ancient norms through Jesus' awesome kingdom and he is the one who is king over all things and you can trust that. And within this tension, this modern tension, we are called to bring those ancient norms to this place and to this city and beyond. And God is inviting you to be a part of that. Some of you are sitting there thinking, nah, not me, I'm like, I'm only new, like, my faith is so new. Mustard seed. Remember the mustard seed? God wants to wrap you up in this as well. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus and Jesus, you came and you rescued us as this uh, wonderful, incredible saviour who was willing to die in our place and who we know overcame death. You were resurrected from the dead. And at that point forward to us being resurrected into our new resurrection bodies where one day we will be all that we're supposed to be. But Lord, I pray that in the meantime, you would help us to pursue all these amazing things of your ancient norms, of your heavenly things upon this earth so that Glasgow would be transformed. And Lord, we pray there would be lots of people out there that you're starting to speak to now. You'd be drawing to come and join us and other churches across the city to receive from you and fall in love with you and give their whole lives to you and receive life. And Lord, I pray in, over this room, pray on this Pentecost Sunday that Holy Spirit, you would fall afresh on us. Pray that you would speak into our hearts, that you'd reveal gifts to us. Pray, Father, that as we pray for one another later on, that, Lord, you would do a new thing in people today. That people would see that they are so valued by you. Not because of the gift, but Lord, if the gift helps, these gifts help people go, oh wow, God's giving, God loves me, he's so generous, he's given me good gifts, great. But Lord, I pray that today would be a significant day for people as they realize I am wrapped up in this glorious mission, this glorious story of redemption, of how you are making all things new. Come, Lord Jesus, in your power, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Why don't we get on our feet?